we have been studying in the book of Corinthians and uh, the first chapter and the second chapter. In the part of the first chapter, we talked about the wisdom of God compared to the wisdom of man. And uh, it goes on into the second chapter and it covers the entire second chapter of 1 Corinthians as well. And we're going to move on from that here this morning. But before we do, I want to uh, mention to you one verse of scripture and talk to you a little bit about it. Because I feel like that it identifies a little bit about where we are today and show you some scripture here concerning uh, this verse of scripture and where you and I are today. Praise the Lord. How, where we are with this in America here. So if you have your Bible, look with us in 1 Corinthians verse 1, chapter 1, verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Very simple verse of scripture that the Lord bears out and he mentions here. And uh, I just want to say this, that the way the Lord can bring down a nation. Now hear me closely here today. God can bring down any nation by taking away the wise men of the nation. I'm going to give you scripture for all this in a moment. But he can take away the wisdom of its leaders and its wise men. Because the wise men, and I say men, ladies, this is ladies and men. Uh, the wise people of a nation that is what God gives a nation to make it strong. Uh, our founding fathers in America were men of wisdom. God gave it to them. They weren't just naturally born with all that, but God gave them that. Two reasons. One, they wanted to be a righteous people. They feared the Lord. They had a fear of God in them. Number two, they were good and kind to Jews. Jews are God's people that's been displaced in all the world. Any nation that is good to the Jews, God will honor that nation. And uh, I know Jews are not all good people. I understand that. There's some rascals out there as well. I've come across a few of them. But I'm just trying to say as a nation, as a people that's been dispersed in all the world, uh, God is kind to a nation that's kind to them because there are people that's without a home. Now, I know there is the nation of Israel today, but uh, it is only a token of what Israel will eventually become one day. Now, I tell you all of that so that you understand here that the wisdom of God is what God gives a nation and he can take it away. Now, I want you to turn with me to Isaiah 29, 14 for a moment. 29, 14 in your Bible. This is Isaiah. I'm just going to give you some scripture on this particular subject. Because the Bible says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. This is Second uh, Corinthians 13, 1, I believe is where it says it. It's also recorded over in the book of Psalms as well. Anyhow, looking at Isaiah uh, 20. Uh, 2914, if I said 28, I meant 29, 2914, therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. This is talking about Israel in the Old Testament when they were failing God and they were moving away from the Lord and were not following the Lord. He said, I will do a marvelous work or a wonder. It's a marvelous is not always good. Marvelous can be amazingly. Uh, and it goes on to say, and I wonder for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish. 
The wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. And when God begins to do that to the wise men of a nation, that nation begins to lose its sense of proper direction. Now, I have a reason for talking to you about this and telling you this. I'm going to give you another verse of scripture here. This is one found in uh, Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 7. Jeremiah 40, 49, 47. And it, it deals with the people that were the Edomites or the nation of Edom. Edom was, a, Edom was the descendants of Esau. Esau was the twin brother to Jacob. Jacob and Esau were twins. Uh, Esau rejected God, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It should have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau because Esau was the firstborn of those two twins. But Esau rejected the, God, the word of God that Abraham and Isaac upheld, the truth of God and so forth. Jacob embraced it. So God chose Jacob over Esau. Esau's descendants became the people called the Edomites or Edom. Edom was a country that lived way out in the east of across the Jordan River and down further southeast of, of, uh, of Palestine. And what we know of it today as Petra. Uh, Petra is that old, is the old nation there of the Edomites. Some of you remember the story of, e of Indiana Jones or the movie Indiana Jones and the Lost Ark. And you've seen pictures in magazines and books where it shows a big front of a big temple carved out of a rock. Just set back in there. It looked like it's just right in the rock. It's a temple front. Well, that's Petra. And uh, Petra really exists. It's there today. And they've got these uh, temple-looking faces on these rocks. And then you go through the door, and it goes into the cave of that rock. And I have been to Petra, and I've gone through there. And it's a real narrow place that's more narrow than this aisle here. It goes for a long stretch to get back in there. It's very rugged. So that the Edomites found a valley in there. And they knew that no enemy could come in except they came in through this very narrow passage. And no matter how large the army was, it was like one-on-one -on -one battle between like two, two soldiers could stand off, you know, a whole army, a legion of soldiers. So nobody ever messed with the Edomites. The Edomites became very arrogant and egotistical. And, uh, and, and they were high-minded. They didn't even believe in God. They became atheists in their beliefs. They're very proud people. And uh, when the Lord began to judge the Jews because of their sins in 588 B.C. and sent in the Babylonians, the Jews began to flee and run. And when they did, the Edomites began to kill the Jews and capture them and turn them over to the Edomites. And they worked against their own brother. You understand what I'm saying here? So the Lord sends this word by Jeremiah, and he says this concerning Edom, verse 7, 49, 7. Concerning Edom, thus saith the Lord of hosts, is wisdom no more in Teman? Teman is the capital uh, city there in, among, in, in there in Petra, among the Edomites. Is counsel perished from the prudent? Is their wisdom vanished? And so this gives you a little bit of a... Uh, uh, idea here how the Lord withdrew his wisdom from Edom and he talks about it now it's brought out a little bit further in the uh, in the book of Obadiah uh, Obadiah was a prophet who prophesied specifically against the Edomites and I'm just going to read a verse of scripture here to this is 
This is Obadiah uh, uh, one, uh, chapter one, verse one. And I think there's only, yeah, there's only one chapter in Obadiah. And it says here in this verse one, the vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. And this is the Edomites that he's talking about. Verse eight, I'm saving time here. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount of Esau? And he goes on to talk about how that he, and then he goes on to say from verse 10 to 15, he says, the reason is because of what they did to the Jews, your brother, you did that against them. And he says, I will destroy them. And it goes on to finally say in verses 18 and 19, that he would therefore, uh, he would destroy the household of Esau. And verse 19, and they, and they of the south shall possess the Mount of Esau. And he was speaking here of the Nebataeans. The Nebataeans came in after the Edomites possessed that land. And it was actually the Nebataeans that carved all of those, uh, those big edifices in the rocks. It was not the Edomites that did that. that, that I mean. But the point I'm bringing out to you here is that these people were so smart, so wise, so crafty. They had it all figured out. Nobody could get to them. No airplanes back in those days. No hot air balloons, you know. Nobody could go over the mountain. Nobody could go up on, over the mountain. They were too rugged. They had to come through that strait. And nobody could come through that strait, you know, without, you know, being killed as they came through it. So they were very secure in there. And I'm just saying no, no matter how secure any of us may feel, if we do not walk with God and serve the Lord, God has a way of bringing us to naught. And he did eventually bring an end to the Edomites and they were, they were overcome by the Nebataeans later on. Now, the reason I'm pointing all this out is because I worry about America. I do. And I love this country and I've been all, all my life I've been so patriotic because I'm an American. I grew up here uh, as a boy. I was in World War II and everything was patriotism. And we were, we, you know, we had got that on a daily basis in our school system. All of you that's anywhere near my age and most of you, most of you, nearly all of you are not. But if you're anywhere near my age, you know something about how that it used to be that way. And very patriotic, very strong for America. But I worry about America because I see America going headlong toward things that I know that God is very displeased with. We're still kind to, to the Jewish people, and that's a favor to us. Uh, there's a certain amount of, uh, there's a certain element of righteousness still in America. America is still people that want to help other people. And give. We're still the biggest giving, singly giving people uh, of any people in the world. But it's probably because that we have a lot. But America has been so blessed. We have been so abundantly blessed. And it's almost like it's, it's running, it's just we're running over with the blessings of God. You may not feel that way today because you compare yourself with, you know, some rich guy down, you know, in another city or something. And they say, people tell me that, this statement about being a millionaire, that used to be a big deal. Well, it is not a big deal anymore. They say, I don't know. <laughs> well, it'd be a long ways from me and I'll never see it. But I will say this, that this thing about being a millionaire, they say today is not such a big deal like it used to be. Because people are very wealthy in America and a lot of people are very wealthy and so forth. Now I'm pointing all that out because in all of that, we have lost our direction in so many things. Uh, America is, is getting into some very heavy sins 
and uh, rebellions against God. And people don't go to church. They used to go to some church on Sunday. Now they don't go to church at all. You see them jogging down around the block on Sundays. And you saw that coming to church. And, and people go on their boats out in the waters and they go fishing and they go this and they go do that. But where is God in all of that? And I'm just pointing all that out to you that I really feel like that America is losing its sense of direction. And all God has to do is take away our wisdom, take away our wisdom. There is an element that's coming on the earth that is going to eventually affect us. Uh, if, I can, if I can read this to you here today, uh, this is a, a Kiplinger Report letter that, you know, I read an article out of it, one of them here not long ago. This is the first paragraph on here. And it talks about a situation that's developing in the world. And I was a little bit shocked when I read it. This, this letter comes out to millions of businessmen, especially heads of corporations all over America. And it's a very, they predict some things that's right around the corner. And usually they're pretty close to being right on just about everything. And not always, but pretty close to it. It says here, dear client, expect the immigration debate to intensify. <clears throat> the scope of the problem is huge. Totally, there is about 70 million people that is without home, that is without a place, without jobs. They're drifting. They're trying to find a place to go and nobody wants them. 70 million people. They are these three geographical hotspots bear most of the blame. Burma. South Sudan and Syria. Syria, as you know, is the one that most of them we're getting from that comes in through Europe. Uh, Germany took them in. Now Germany is up to their eyebrows with it and they don't know what to do about it. Uh, Italy took them in. They've just got a new president in Italy saying, we want to cut this thing off. We cannot continue to take in all of these refugees coming in from Syria. Uh, France is being bombarded with it. And, and among these people, are, are people sometimes that the terrorists will send in among them and they'll get into a country. Next thing you know, they're blowing up, you know, whatever it is, buses, train stations, malls. You know, we, we read about it all the time. England is there dealing with it and so forth. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that's the way it is. You know, you understand this is not political here. This is just the way it is. And it goes on to say here that, uh, and, and it says here that civil war and ethnic strife are pushing millions of their people to take to the road for Europe or to Asia. Asia is having a certain amount of problems with this as well. Now listen to this. Central America is also in turmoil. Violence and poverty will keep sending waves of immigrants to the U.S.'s southern border, seeking a way in. Venezuela and Mexico could be next. And this is what they're spelling out here. Ticking time bombs waiting to go off and send folks fleeing to neighboring countries. Now, I'm just telling you here that these are conditions that are developing. Uh, in the book of Revelation, it talks about whenever the end time comes and the judgments of God begin to come, there is a wave of catastrophes that begin to happen in the world. And one place it says, but touch not the touch not the oil and the wine. And when it says touch not the oil and wine, this is the sixth chapter of Revelation. It says touch not the oil and the wine. It means the rich are not affected yet. You understand? It always hits the poor first. The poor first. 
And then eventually it will get to the rich. And of course, that's brought out in that sixth chapter of Revelation as well. I won't, I'm not talking about the book of Revelation here. But I am pointing out the condition of the world that we're in today. And if we have wise leaders and wise people, but I see in America a turmoil going on. And I see a conflict. And I see, a, I, I see division. And I, I see a lean towards socialism. That's something that we've never uh, had too much of here in America, but uh, I've read all about socialism and how it developed in Russia. Karl Marx, I've read his writings. I've read about, you know, uh, uh, Lenin, you know, and how Lenin developed. It's amazing how that man came to power. And Trotsky was supposed to have taken his place. Uh, they, we were supposed to have taken Lenin's place, but Joseph Stalin got in there and, 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 and cut him out, and he became the dictator then. And it's always a thing like it's going to be the people rule, but the people never rule. It's a minority that rules over them and controls them. It's just another way of doing it. And all the ins and outs and the the ramifications of it. And I'm just trying to tell you that, that I'm seeing some of that in America today because it's a division that's happening in this nation, in this country that's going on at this point. And uh, I think that we're headed for trouble. I only say that to say that God can bring a nation down by taking away the wisdom of his wise leaders. Amen. Or wisdom of the people that, that God has given it. Praise the Lord. So I just want you to pray for America. And I want to say one other thing here. And that is that pray for your friends and your neighbors and your loved ones. Uh, God wants them to be saved. I'm going to interject this for just a moment. This is a map that I uh, showed here a while back. And let me focus it on here. Uh, where's my focus? Hang on a minute. I think that's the one. There we go. And let me get up closer here. This is a, uh, a map of the Middle East. We'll move it back this way a little bit. Because this is Paul's, some of Paul's missionary journeys I'm showing you here. And we are reading in 1 Corinthians. This is the city of Corinth right here where this arrow is pointing. This is Corinth. It's in Greece. And Paul wrote it from, the, from, from Ephesus over here, which is today in western Turkey. And uh, what happened was Paul came, came through this area in here preaching the gospel. He came over here and the Lord said, don't go into Asia here. This is all Asia right in here. Don't go there. I want you to go over here. And he got the Macedonian call to go over to Macedonia and then come down into, uh, this is Macedonia, and then come down into the Grecian part here as well. So Paul did. This is where Philippi is, where they were thrown in jail. and He was whipped and so forth. He and Silas. And uh, so there's Berea. He built established a church there. He went to Thessalonica. Established the church we know of as the Thessalonians and so forth. Uh, the book of 1st, 2nd Thessalonians it was written to the Thessalonica church. And then came on down here, came to Athens and Mars Hill, preached on Mars Hill, came over here to Corinth. And when he got to Corinth and he began to preach there, the Lord spoke to him. Listen to me carefully on this. He spoke to him and said, Paul, be very bold and courageous in this city and preach the gospel for I have much people here. That's the Corinthian. This is the, Paul was writing to the Corinthian church. I have much people here. And Paul was there for about two years in Corinth, preaching the word of God. And the Lord said, I have much people. Not that they were saved, but they, were, had, a, they, they had their hearts tender toward God, and God knew that. 
Now, I want to tell you this, that there's people out there right now out there that's got a tender place in their heart toward God, but they don't know what to believe. They don't know who to believe. There's all kinds of words and talk and people saying this, one saying that, one saying this way, one saying that way and so forth. And some of these people are asking God for help. I told you not long ago about a sister that I, we were doing some canvassing here several years ago and I knocked on her door and, uh, and I knocked on the door and she came to the door and I told her who I was and I was representing the church and want to invite her to church. Here's a track and some flyers and want you to, you know, come to our Sunday school. And she said, I am so glad you came because I have been praying and asking God to direct me on where to go to church because I want to get, I want to know God. I want to get, a, you know, I want to get saved and everything. She came to church, got saved. She had a little boy, the name Ian. And, uh, and they, and she got saved, was a member of this church for a long time and then moved to uh, Virginia and never saw them for a long time. One day, this nice, tall, handsome guy walked into church. Amen. And I didn't know who he was. And he said, Brother Myers, I'm Ian. I'm that little boy. I've grown up now and everything. Just want to drop by and tell you that my mother and I are still living for God. We'll always appreciate you knocking on our door. Amen. And many of you have done the same thing. Many of you have done the same thing. And so I'm just trying to tell you here today, folks, that there is an unborn church still out there. And God wants us to be concerned about them. And that's what was going on here. And the Lord said, Paul, I've got a people here. So when Paul later, and whenever he left there, he left there and he went all the way back down and went back over here to Jerusalem and then came back all the way through here again. When he came back to Ephesus, he was there for three years. And when he was there in Ephesus, in his third year, he wrote a letter to the Corinthian church. And that's what we have here in the first Corinthians is this letter here where he says that you got some things, you got some problems and situations going on. I want to talk to you about it and so forth. Everybody say, praise the Lord. I'm going to move on here. But uh, there is a, a, a people that need to be saved. I believe that God has given us a window of opportunity here in these last days to do the work of God. That's why we cannot get lazy. We cannot get, cannot get indifferent. In the book of Revelation, that seventh church, the seven churches of, Laodicea, of Asia, that La the seventh church was Laodicea. That was the name of the town it was in. And the people there were the, called the Laodiceans. And uh, he went on to say, the, the Lord, when he talked to John, he said, the Laodicean, to the Laodicean church, he says, you're laid back too much. He says, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. I wish that you were one or the other. If you were cold, at least you could know you were cold. If you're hot, then you'd be on hot and fire for God. So God wants us, praise the Lord, folks, to be in touch with him. And he wants us to be not, don't, don't lay back in this hour and day. This is a very important and serious time. Walk with God. Serve the Lord. Don't be a halfway Christian. Be in it all the way for the Lord. Amen. I'm serious because the Lord is coming soon. It won't be too much longer. He's, he's coming back for his church and he's wanting to use this present day church to do a great outreach. And there are some great things happening. I think God's using this church in a great way. I do. I do believe that. But I think he wants to use us even a better way, a greater way than what even what, where we are right now. But God's doing a great work in this world. There is a, there is a tremendous, uh, Revivals going on in the world now, but showing that God is in the saving business and will be right on up to the coming of the Lord. Everybody say praise the Lord. 
Amen. All right. I'm going to move uh, on a little further. I want you to look with me, if you would, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I was in chapter 1 there, and we we're talking about wisdom, and I'm just finishing up on that particular subject. But if you look in <coughs> chapter 3 and verse uh, 16, he says here, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God. Ye are the temple of God. Take a little note of that. And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, this is confirmed in other scriptures. Uh, for instance, in, if we're, while you're in 1 Corinthians, look over in chapter 6 and verse 19. Chapter 6 and verse 19, if you look over there very quickly. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For you are bought with a price, verse 20, bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Belongs to God. God's possessed. The word God is being possessive. And so we belong to God. We are his. So I'm telling you that so that you understand here that God has said you're the temple, the temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to read one other verse. The Bible says in the mouth of three witnesses. This is in 2 Corinthians 16. Uh, I mean, First, Second Corinthians six sixteen, chapter six, verse sixteen, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And so, and it goes on to say, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Now, the reason that I'm reading that to you is that God wants us to be a holy people. He wants us to be a God-fearing people. We are the temple of God. God's spirit dwells in us. And just like God's spirit was in that temple in the Old Testament, and they, they, uh, they knew God's presence was there, the Lord says, now, I want you to be in the temple of God. So we have the spirit of God in us. If the spirit of God dwells in it, it requires of us to keep the temple clean. Keep it clean. Amen. That's why we need to be a holy people, a godly people, a God-fearing people. Don't try to, don't try to play the world and, and God together. Don't try to be a, do a juggling act. Just get on board for God. Just say, God, I'm going to live for you. Be a, be a holy people. Be a clean people. Don't take booze. Don't drink. One guy told me, he said, all I do, Brother Byers, is drink a little bottle of beer or two after the end of the day. I said, don't even do that. Throw it out the window, you know. I got a bottle of wine in my office. If anybody ever comes in there, you may see it sitting there. It was given to me by an old Italian friend uh, that, uh, I won't get long story, but he's, he's passed away now. But he gave me that bottle of wine for a Christmas gift one year. And I said, I don't know, I stuck it up on the shelf there. I left it there. It's been there for years. Believe me, it won't ever be touched. Everything. I don't know why. I just keep it. Somebody said, what's that wine for? I said, well, it rem Keeps me to remember that old friend of mine, that old Italian guy. He used to bring him to church. He's an old guy. And I won't go into the story, but he's a very interesting person. He was, uh, he was Eisenhower's secretary during, in World War II for a season over whenever he was in Italy, in uh, Naples, Italy. And I won't go into detail. Also started a boys', boys uh, home in New York State. A very interesting person. But anyhow... I'm just trying to say here, don't ever touch alcohol. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. Stay away from drugs. Don't even touch that stuff. They're making marijuana legalized in a lot of states now. Leave it alone. 
Don't mess with gambling. Don't mess with gambling. I talked to a guy yesterday, a Christian guy on the phone. He's all, yeah, I went so-and-so, I went so-and-so, please. Why? He said, well, my wife wanted to play the slot machines a little bit, blah, 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 blah. What? Yeah, yeah, she, she won $100. I said, yeah, uh, how long ago was, did she lose some? Did she, yeah, yeah, a while back she lost a bunch, you know. I mean, it's, a, you know, don't gamble, you know. It's, uh, there's no reason for it. As my grandmother used to tell me and others of her grandchildren when we were kids, she says, you're taking money that you didn't earn, and whenever they take it from you, somebody else taking the money you earned. So don't gamble, you know. Don't gamble. Don't smoke cigarettes. Get rid of your cigarettes if you smoke them. Get rid of them. Amen. Walk with God. Praise the Lord. Let your body be holy. Praise the Lord. God wants to keep us righteous and holy and walking with the Lord and serving him. And live a clean life. You ladies wear dresses. Amen. I like these dresses that's down below your knees. These little short things. Man. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm meddling now, right? Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, trying to play, I'm trying to be like a pastor now. I'm going to meddling. Right? But let me just say this. I mean, dress right. Look right. Praise the Lord. And uh, lay off the makeup stuff. You don't need that. You know, let your hair grow. The Bible said a woman should have long hair. Long hair is her glory. God honors that. Her hair is her covering. Praise the Lord. So that she can pray before the Lord. You don't have to put a hat on. If you've got a hat on, that's great. I see some beautiful hats in here. If you've got a hat on, that's beautiful. There's nothing wrong with hats. Hats are great. But if you, if you come before the of God and you want to pray and you don't have a hat, it's okay. If you've got long hair, you can still pray, you know. So I'm just trying to say here, let your holiness, praise the Lord, be in your life and let it come out because it's too late in the time. God's, Jesus is coming soon and he wants us to be a holy people. Will you say praise the Lord? All right. God bless you. I, uh, I'll move on here. Get, get me and everybody else in trouble here talking. <laughs> You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord. Uh, let me... Uh, say one other thing here. We were in that 1 Corinthians chapter 3 area there, and we just got through read, reading the 16th verse where it says, you're the temple of God. Let me just read one other verse here to you. This is serious. The 17th verse, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now, in conjunction with that, I want to read a verse of scripture that's found in Ezekiel 5.11. Ezekiel 5.11. And uh, this is what it says. Wherefore, as I live, saith the Lord God, surely because thou hast defiled my sanctuary. He's talking to Israel now back in the Old Testament. Because thou hast defiled my sanctuary with all thy detestable things with all thine abominations, therefore will I also diminish thee. Neither shall, neither shall mine eye spare, neither will I have any pity. And the Lord says, because you have, you know, defiled my sanctuary, my sanctuary, that's the temple of God in the Old Testament. Uh, he went on to say, I shall destroy you and destroy that. that. Now, I'm going to read another verse of scripture here that is in uh, in Chronicles, in Second Chronicles, and this is where the temple was destroyed. I'm reading this in Second Chronicles, and this is where all this comes from. Paul says, you're the temple of God. Wonderful. The Spirit of God dwells in us. Well, praise the Lord. <clears throat> but 
God requires that we keep the temple clean. If any man defile the temple, him will God destroy. That's very sobering, very sobering. <clears throat> so we go back to the Old Testament where the, the temple was, was, the, was a building in Jerusalem. And this is what it says here in Second Chronicles. Uh, and this is chapter 36 and verse 14. 36, 14 in Second Chronicles. Moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, that is prophets, rising up betimes and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. In other words, he wanted to warn them that that would be judgment if they continued in their abominations. Verse 16, but they mocked the messengers of God and they despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Verse 17, therefore, he brought upon them the kings of the Chaldeans who slew their young men with the sword and in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion upon young men or maiden, old men or them that stooped for age. He gave them all unto his sword. And finally down in verse 19, just to save time here. And they burnt the house of God and break down the wall of Jerusalem and burn all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. Now, I'm just pointing this out because Paul says just like the temple was holy and God's presence dwelt in it because they defiled it, therefore God destroyed the temple. You're the temple of God. So if the presence of God dwells enough, be careful that we do not keep ourselves clean and pure and holy before the Lord because God can and he will, as according to the word here, destroy the temple. Everybody say praise the Lord. Amen. Well, that's the straight word of God. I give it to you straight. Praise God. Uh, I want to point out to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6. We're going back to 1 Corinthians here again. And uh, we're moving from the third chapter on into chapter 6 here. Sort of catching up to where we are. And I want you to look at this for a moment here. This is the Lord telling us about how we should handle our legal affairs or conflicts if there's ever any in the church all right he says here in second he's talking to the corinthian church now apparently in, in in corinth they had some problems and they were not dealing with it right he says verse chapter six verse one dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints he said, if you've got a conflict, you go out here to the court system and you want to sue your brother for something. The verse two, do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know you not that we shall judge the angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? So he's trying to say here, that we should be judges of our situations and our problems that we have in this life. Verse 5, I speak to your shame because they were not doing that. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother and that before the unbelievers. Now, uh, 
I just want to talk to you a little bit. This is what the Lord is teaching here. Uh, a lot of you, probably most of you don't know it, and your, your pastor is a little bit, probably, he doesn't speak about this a whole lot. But as you know, he has a law degree. And uh, there is uh, probably, probably just only on one hand, you could count the lawyers that's among our ministers throughout our fellowship in the United Pentecostal Church. And when there's a conflict among ministers in different states, many times they call on your pastor to go and to represent one against the other and to discuss the situation and sometimes to, to be a mediator and try to work it out. So a lot of times whenever he's gone for a few days, he's in some other state. You know, he's been to Texas and worked on some things out there with some of the brethren. He's been in North Carolina, worked on some things out there. He's been to Virginia and he's worked on things like that because he has, as you well know, he has a law degree. He's, 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 he's uh, very uh, fortunate that he was able to sit under both uh, Rehnquist, who was this, the chief Supreme Court judge before he passed away, and also, uh, 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 what's the other one? I forgot. What? Scalia. Scalia, thank you. Scalia slipped my mind. Under, under, he sat under Scalia also in Ireland. He was under him over there. And he had also attended Oxford for a season as well. So he's very knowledgeable in all these kind of things. And he's, uh, his knowledge and these things are valued throughout our fellowship. But I'm just trying to say here that this is the reason sometimes that he's gone for a few days here and there because he does these kind of things. Not for pay. He does it for a service, but they do pay his expenses. So what, he'd never tell you that. But I just want you to know that the Bible teaches us in the scriptures to do that. And the United Pentecostal Church endeavors to try to follow that system. And it works very well for them. Praise the Lord. But there is a need here for us to always remember to follow the scriptures and to follow what the Lord has said here that uh, these things would happen. Now, I want to point out something to you that involves you and me. And this is something I think is important. I'm looking at this sixth chapter. And I'm reading the second verse again. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? Did you know we'll judge the world? You say, Brother Myers, how will we judge the world? How? We will judge the world and we'll sit on the Lord's throne with him. He suggested I sit on my father with him. So shall you sit with me on my throne. And we'll judge the world sitting on the throne with the Lord. And this is brought out in Matthew and also in the book of Mark is brought out. Uh, <clears throat> We'll not sit there and say, you, to hell you go, you know, you go to hell. This one, okay, you're okay, you go to heaven. You know, that's not the way we'll judge. You understand? We will be witnesses for the Lord. Now, listen to me very carefully here. People who have not lived for God will have excuses before the throne of God because God's a just God. And they'll say, God... I could not live for God under those situations in that particular location at that period of time. And the Lord says, yes, you could have. Here's a man, here's a woman who did. And that's why sometimes you're the only one on your job. You're the only one in your community. You're the only one in your family. You know, you're the one that God has picked out. And if you live for God, you're a witness against them so that nobody can ever stand and say to God, you have been unjust with me. The Lord, we will judge people because we'll be a witness to them. And I've used this example before. Somebody says, brother, you know, God, uh, nobody could live for God if they worked at Harris, you know, in 2018. I mean, just impossible, you know. 
And the Lord said, no, 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 I've got people I need. Some of you, I mean, how many of you work at Harry's? I got several of me. Okay. I see hands. Uh, and God will say, I've got these, they live, they live for God. They went to church. They served me and they worked at Harris or you could even make it even more a certain department of Harris or whatever. But I'm just trying to tell you here, here, this is how we would judge the world. Now, this is interesting here. Look at the next verse, verse three. Know ye not that we shall judge angels, angels, because the angels the reason they want you to fail is so that there's no witnesses against them. That's why they don't, they don't, they, they, they know they're going to, they know they're going to hell. They know they're lost. But if somehow or another, you, you don't make it, they've got a good argument with God. Nobody could live with God. You expected too much. So therefore don't send us to hell because even these people couldn't live for God. That's what they were hoping whenever the flood came. Everybody was so wicked. But, but there was a man by the name of Noah that found grace in the eyes of God. He was a righteous man. And because he was righteous, amen, that the human race was spared and the human race was saved. So I'm just trying to tell you here that in the judgment day, we'll even sit in judgment because the angels can't say they didn't live for God. They have to look at you and say, yeah, I guess they did. They did live for God. So I could have. That's what the way it will come back on them. Do you understand what I'm saying here? That's why the Bible said you shall judge angels because we'll be a witness against them, folks. And God would give you his grace. He'll give you his spirit. He'll help you. That's why sometimes we go through tests and we go through trials. And he never puts us through a test or a trial that it, if he thinks we can't do it. But he knows we've got something inside of us. That's why he allows us to go through some things. So when God allows you to go through some things, just say, God, I know that you've, you, you let this go, me to go through this because you can trust me with it. Praise the Lord. And folks, I want you to know here today that our mighty God loves us more than we'll ever realize. And he knows he's got his hand on us. He knows right where we are. He sees everything about us. He hasn't lost his zip code. And sometimes, you know, he just sort of lets us. It looks like we're trying to work it all out ourselves. But all the time he's saying, I with. And what happens is that we keep having, having faith. Lord, I believe you. I believe in you, Lord. I don't know what's going on. Folks, I have been through some dark places. I have. I've been through some. My dear wife and I, we have been through some tough times in our lives. Amen. But God has been good to us. Here, her and I were talking the other day, and we just hugged. We just hugged each other. I said, honey, you've been with me through thick and thin. She said, honey, you know, we just stayed together, stuck together. Some of you people that have marriage problems, stay with your marriage. Just hang in there. Praise God. You know the devil wants to break up your home. He wants to break up your home. He wants to show God when he put man and wife together that that wouldn't work out, blah, blah, blah. That ain't going to work. No. But when people stay together, they live for God, they serve the Lord. And they keep going. And I know in some situations, you know, God gives a reason that is tolerable and so forth. You, you know, I won't go into that adultery and so forth. But what I am trying to say here, so much of it is things that we could just say, I'm going to just work with it. Wives, tell your husband, honey, I love you. And let's work it out. Husbands, tell your wives, honey, 
Amen. Uh, get a babysitter for the kids. Let's go. Let's go out. I'm taking you out to dinner this Friday. Something. Praise the Lord. And I'm just trying to sell you. Give the devil a black eye every time you do that. But walk with God. So we're going to serve the Lord and we're going to live for God. And we all go through some tough places. Amen. Amen. I've had I've had a rug pulled out from under me. I've I've got gone to work and just happy that I could be and get up my paycheck. This is my last day of work. You know, you're, you're, you're laid off now. We've got a big layoff. They don't give you no time on layoffs a lot of time. They don't say, okay, two weeks, we're going to just, this is it. This is your paycheck. You know, I've gone through all those things. And I found out that the Lord is always there. He'll never fail you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you, folks. I'm telling you, praise the Lord. I never, hey. Do I look like I went hungry? <laughs> look at me. Do I look like I went without a meal? I may have postponed a few, but I never lost it. Never went without it. Let's stand together and praise God and thank him here this morning.